Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. All right. Welcome, everybody. We've got a brand new episode of Real Freedom Stories. And I'm so excited. Today, we're going to talk a lot about short-term rentals. And we're going to hear from somebody who actually hadn't been in real estate full-time to begin with, a physician. We have Sabitha Seti here, and she's going to talk about her journey from being a physician, getting into short-term rentals. Now she has a real estate license. And so not only is she focused on helping and growing her own business, but being others as well and teaching them how to do short-term rentals and talk strategy and all sorts of great stuff. So welcome to the show, Sabitha. We're so excited to have you. And if you want to just take a couple minutes and share a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. So as Mike mentioned, my name is Sabitha Seti. I'm a physician by training. Mm -hmm. Um, I was an accidental landlord and then an intentional short-term rental uh, real estate investor. And then um, to make my life a little crazier, I decided to um, design and market and sell and teach a course on how to invest in short-term rentals. And if that wasn't crazy enough, then I got my real estate license. And now I'm building out a referral-based business to connect my my people that are in my class and in my Facebook group with agents across the country that can help them get into the short-term rental market. So interestingly enough, I... um, I stayed at my first Airbnb in 2017. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that was because in 2016, I had gone on vacation and just, it had been a number of years since I'd gone anywhere. I'm a single mom by choice. So it was me and my son. And I just thought, oh, I'll just book a hotel. We were going to San Diego. I thought, book a hotel. And um, I'd taken a friend with us and just Honestly, it never occurred to me like the logistics of being in a hotel room with a child mm-hmm. and it was horrible and, <laughs> and there's no I other can attest way. to that with three boys. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's really horrible. And I remember we had a pack and play in the corner and my son was, you know, just there was nowhere for him to play. There was nowhere for him to be. He was either in the pack and play or on the bed. And um, so anyway, long story short, um, the following year, I stayed in my first Airbnb and fell in love with the whole concept. Um, It was an apartment in downtown Los Angeles. It was around Thanksgiving. So I was there visiting friends for Thanksgiving and I didn't want to stay in their small apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, So we booked a place. And as my girlfriend and I were sitting on the couch chatting about this apartment, my son was in a bedroom sleeping, taking a nap because he was, you know, he was two years old. And we sat there and we were like, this is just amazing. Like there's a kitchen, there's a bathroom, there's a bedroom, there's all this space. And so she and I, and I was addicted to Zillow to begin with. So I got on Zillow. Mm -hmm. I looked up the apartment, found out what it cost. We kind of did the backwards math of what I was paying and what do you think it would cost to clean this place? How much is this furniture? It wasn't anything special. It was all, you know, Ikea kind of stuff. And it didn't take long. Uh, We were like, okay, so this is a really lucrative business. And quite honestly, it just never dawned on me before to even consider it or look into it until I stayed at my first property. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how that was the um, the seed that was planted. And, um, you know, fast forward four years, I've got five properties that are on Airbnb and um, I just love it. Well, I think yeah. you're exactly right. Going, you know, going back to the idea of, of having a child in a pack and play. 
Um, you know, we, we have three children and when you go to reserve a hotel room, right, it's usually two queen beds or a king and a pullout. And so when you put in an occupancy of five people in a hotel room, it wants to try to book you in two hotel rooms. Um, and so, um, similarly, we, we looked at an Airbnb this summer and, and now our, our youngest, he's three, he's old enough to at least understand, uh, like he's he's able to be in a hotel room and not completely disrupt things, but we did the pack and play thing in the corner and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's wondering what's going on. Where am I? He's crying. And really the only option is to bring him into bed with you. Well, then he's kicking and tossing and turning and it's no good for anybody to the point to where it's tough to, to want to sleep in a hotel room, you know, and, and every child's different, you know, so I'm sure other people that have babies that sleep wonderfully don't have that same experience, but, but it's a different circumstance or, you know, we just stayed in a hotel two weeks ago when we traveled um, to a family member's house and we got them to bed. Everybody got asleep. Well, then I'm sitting next to the door with the bathroom light on with my computer working because you're all in the same room. And sometimes you can find a hotel where you've got a little bit of a separation. Sometimes you can't depending on the city you're in, you know, we were in a a small town with only one hotel choice. So it's kind of like, this is what you get. So, you know, I think for those people that haven't been open to the idea of a short-term rental, or maybe never used a short-term rental, just understanding like it can accomplish a whole different set of checkboxes that you never thought possible with a hotel. And, And I think that's a key piece too, is you legitimately are meeting a need that people have out there that the typical hotel may not fit. Right. And I'm, you know, I was so happy to pay the rate for my Airbnb, you know, that nightly rate, because we were just getting so much out of it, quite frankly. And Mm -hmm. my, my son is a rooster, you know, he's up at 5am. And you can, you know, it's one thing to get, get away, be awake at 5am. It's a whole nother thing to be functioning at 5am. So, <laughs> right. you know, in a, in a hotel room, like if I need a cup of coffee and I have to go downstairs, I've got a tote, a two-year-old with me. It's just not the same. So being in a, being in a private space, like a short-term rental is just so mm-hmm. ideal. You have a kitchen, you can make your coffee, you can even make breakfast, save a little money. You can have snacks, you know, when you're traveling with kids, they need snacks, what, you know, every 45 minutes. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you've really got to be prepared. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into the business. And I just love it. I love providing a service. I love mm-hmm. providing a value. Um, I also love sharing my city with people that are coming to visit and, you know, sharing mm-hmm. things with them when they say, Hey, we've got a, you know, we've got a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. Do you have any recommendations on things to do? I'm like, I just love that. I just love saying, Oh, absolutely. Here, you know, go to go to this park and do this. And the water, you know, the water park is open and there's a museum. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I just I love the hospitality side of the business too. So yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Well, and I think that's something important for people to understand is this is a service-based industry. You are in the hospitality business. And so it's different than a long-term rental where, okay, I, I, I put it up for rent. Somebody rents it on a 12 month lease. We hear from them maybe a little bit here and there. Um, Now there's a lot that you can do to automate things to where you're not necessarily as engaged um, as other people have it set up, but understanding your competition is hotels, other Airbnbs, and other short-term rentals as well. And so you have to market yourself well, you have to position yourself well, and you have to give great service because you know it's it's all about the reviews. And so you have to get good reviews um, if right. you want to continue to have people book your rooms. 
Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I think it's important for people to understand that um, the short-term rental business or niche market is definitely a business. Mm-hmm. I think that it is very, very customizable. So on one end of the spectrum, um, you can get into the business by renting out your guest room that you're not using. And mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Um, if you're a college student or a grad student and you need some cash, you can, you know, you can do that. You can Airbnb out a separate bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you buy a duplex, you can you can short-term rental out the other side and start getting into the real estate business. And then you can take it from that end of the spectrum all the way up to the top of luxury properties, right? Where you're five and six bedrooms on the beach and you're creating an experience for people, like a full service vacation experience for people. And then quite frankly, there's everything in between. Um, Right now, my properties are in the in-between. I focus on um, families that are traveling, couples that are traveling, and um, individuals that are traveling in my down to my Phoenix properties that are just studio apartments and Mm -hmm. two bedroom apartments. Um, So those those are my those are my that's my target audience, really my avatar. Um, at some point, I wouldn't mind getting into that luxury feel, you know, creating that experience or whatever, but that's mm-hmm. for the future. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then along with that too, you know, you can be as involved or not as involved, obviously if it's, you know, renting out a bedroom in your house, you're going to be pretty involved <laughs> because they're going to be yeah. living with you. Um, yes. I've seen properties where, um, you know, they, it, I, close to me, there's, there's somebody who lives on a lake and they have a separate cabin, um, just like uh-huh. a one bedroom cabin that they rent out. And so it could be on your property, but not necessarily in your house. Um, right. or like you said, com- you know, completely separate properties, completely separate areas. I mean, you could own an Airbnb in another state if you want to, um, and uh-huh. still find ways to automate it and be, you know, hands off if you need to. So, um, yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about, um, how you, cause I know everybody wants to know, how do you find these? How do you understand the financials behind them to know whether I'm investing in something that's a good opportunity or not? Because um, you, you obviously need people to stay there to make it financially viable. And so how does that look like in terms of seasonality and things like that? How do you kind of analyze the opportunity? That's a great question. So um, it's kind of multifactorial. So I think the first question you have to ask yourself is location, right? Location, location, location. Where do you want a vacation property and mm-hmm. do you want to use it? So the, the real question is, is it a pure investment or is it something that you're going to use? Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a pure investment, it could be anywhere, right? It's, it's really based on the math. Where does the math make sense? And then you mm-hmm. invest there. If it's something that you're going to use as a family, then um, I think it's ideal to pick a location that you love because I think you can be a better host if you know the area and experience it and love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as far as figuring out if it's legal and how to do it and if it makes sense, you've got to start at the state level and then go down to the county level and then the municipality. The municipality could be a city, it could be a township, it could be a number of things, right, when you break Mm -hmm. it down. And you've got to make sure that you're following the rules and regulations of each of those different municipalities. Um, And you want to make sure that it's legal. You want to make sure that you can get your finger on the pulse of the community. Like, is it a welcomed thing or is it a not welcomed thing? Do you want to be in a community that is divided on how they treat their short-term rentals? Um, Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't want that headache, then I would definitely recommend moving towards more of the vacation rental markets where 
you know, the vast majority of properties are vacation rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's places like the Carolina mountains, the Smoky mountains, um, Blue Ridge, Georgia, the Florida coast where, you know, there are beach properties that are basically all vacation rentals or majority. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you, you eliminate that headache of wondering if there's going to be rules and regulations that are changed or modified while you're getting your business set up. And after you've made your investment. I think um, one of the things when I got started a few years ago, there really wasn't there really wasn't a good analysis tool out there to figure out like is this going to make money or am I mm-hmm. going to be floating this mortgage? I I literally had no idea how to figure that out, so I created a spreadsheet that did just that. As I was mm-hmm. as I was doing the research, I thought. Well, gosh, Sedona has some seasonality. You know, we've got the spring is a big time for us and the fall is a big time. And I had no idea how the summer would do or the winter. So I created a 12-month spreadsheet that kind of goes through all the calculations to account for all the seasonality. Um, There are tools out there. I don't know if your listeners have heard of AirDNA.co, but um, AirDNA takes, they scrape all the data from Airbnb as well as VRBO, and -hmm. they can give you some guidance on what the average daily rate is and referred to as the ADR. And they can give you some guidance on what the occupancy rate is across the board um, in your area. And then when you subscribe to AirDNA, they give you a lot of free information, but then when you Mm -hmm. subscribe, you can really dial down and deep into analyzing your particular city. Um, and what you want to do is analyze your property against like properties, right? You want apples to apples. So three mm-hmm. bedrooms compared to three bedrooms, four bedrooms compared to four bedrooms. And then um, a little deeper, you want to check out the amenities, right? A three bedroom with a pool is going to rent differently than a three bedroom without a pool. So mm-hmm. you'll want to kind of um, take that into consideration and crunch the numbers that way. So mm-hmm. Yeah. So I use a pro forma to help me analyze. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to ask quick what, you know, when you think about the busy season in Sedona versus the not busy season, how does the vacancy change in a month? How many, you know, how many dates out of the month are you booked in the busy seasons versus not just for folks to get an example? Yeah, absolutely. So Sedona is a pretty, pretty great market for um, all year visitors. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say this. So in, I think it was August of this year, I had about a 50% occupancy which was shocking, um, mm-hmm. shockingly low, I should tell you. Um, yep. cause normally my occupancy is 75 to quite honestly, 99%. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when, um, and if you're that high and what I've learned over the years is when your occupancy gets above 80, 85%, um, chances are your prices are too low. So you Mm -hmm. need to bump up your prices a little bit. Um, I personally don't really like having back-to-back-to-back bookings. I really like my property to have an opportunity to breathe. Um, I like like to have the opportunity to get a handyman in there and do things. I also Mm -hmm. like the opportunity to go there myself occasionally and just spot check things, you know, just make sure are all the light bulbs working? Um, Do I need to Mm -hmm. recharge the, you know, the, the lock on the door and, and all the little things I like to just kind of mm-hmm. pop in. Um, so yeah, if you get n- above 90% occupancy, you really probably need to raise your rates a little bit and, um, and take that into consideration. So in Sedona, a low occupancy is probably 30%. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that yet. Um, and then the high is almost hundred percent. And how does that change in some of the other markets that you've looked at? <clears throat> you know, say, say for example, you know, we've talked about, I live in Minnesota, 
people like to come here in Minnesota in the summer, um, less people like to come in the winter. And so, so obviously you could have a much different swing than in a place like Sedona where it's warmer all the time. Right. And the same thing happens in, you know, the Smoky Mountains and on the beaches, right? The beach properties are going to be booked all summer and then the shoulder seasons um, taper off. And then the winter, you might only have the holidays, you know, families that decide they want to be at the beach for Christmas, they might um, mm-hmm. book Thanksgiving or something like that, or the high holidays. Um so, I mean, you just have to do your due diligence. I think that's where AirDNA comes in. Uh, AirDNA.co comes in handy is to really mm-hmm. dial into that market and kind of figure out that occupancy based on the based on the season, for sure. Yep. Um, and that you really want to look at it at a 12-month lens because, oh, yes. you know, making your buying decision is you got to look at all 12 months because you're going to have your highs, you're going to have your lows, but really that 12-month lens of, okay, my, my mortgage payment, my expenses are X. How much income am I going to experience for a full year to decide if there's enough margin there, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's what's so different about long-term rentals compared to short-term rentals, right? Like long-term rentals, once you get a tenant in there, it's a fixed situation. The rent is Mm -hmm. the rent. Uh, The tenant's going to be paying some of their utilities. You're going to be paying whatever you set up. And it's really just a static picture of, of, the financial scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, short-term rentals are so different. That's why you need a pro forma to take a look at each and every month because, um, you know, if you buy some, like, let's say you buy a beach property in January, you close on it in January and January through mid-March, you're going to be floating that property, mm-hmm. right? You're going right. to be paying a lot. And, and here's the thing, the expenses of a short-term rental are also somewhat fixed because, if there's nobody booking your property, it's not like you can turn off the Wi-Fi, turn off the electricity, turn off right. the water store and trash, right? So you still have those fixed expenses. So you really need to know if you can float that property through those few months until you start getting those bookings for you know May, June, July, August. And um, so I think that's important as well for investors to realize what's your what's your hold period, what's your you know mm-hmm. net at the end of the day, right? Yeah, you've got yeah. to you've got to be able to have enough cash not only to make the purchase but get to that busy season and then are you yes. going to have enough in reserves to get you through to the next busy season the next year, you know, right. so it's it's right. going to take a little bit of time before you might realize those gains. Yeah, and you also have to have reserves. So this is different from short from long-term rentals. You have to have reserves to cover things like a new set of dishes or a new set of linens, a new set of, you know, and these are small expenses in the grand scheme of things. But Mm -hmm. if you've got five bedrooms and you're buying five sets of sheets times two, so 10 sets of sheets, you've got to build that in, you know, to your, to your situation because that can change, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's another thing in terms of expenses to look at when you're purchasing a property is uh, Mm -hmm. you have to furnish the property now. So not only are you looking at can I buy it? Not only are you looking at what's the busy season, but now you're looking at, I've got to buy a bunch of stuff because they they are using my dishes. They are using my bed. And so all of that stuff and decorations. um, So you are going to have a a beginning set of hard costs that you're going to have to incur as well to get it up and running. So what what does that typically look like? Or what are some suggestions you have for people for maybe furnishing a property? Yeah, so it's really variable. It depends on it depends on the property itself and how you want to furnish it. So if it's a mid-range property, you can get away with, you know, Amazon and Wayfair and some of the lower end IKEA kind of products. And mm-hmm. then if you're doing a luxury property, you're you're not going to fill it with IKEA. So you need to step it up and have the budget to to buy the nice leather couches and the beautiful furnishings and the artwork. So it really depends on the property. Um, I think for the average 
um, you know, the average, say three bedroom, two bath house, you probably want to at least account for about 25 grand in, Mm -hmm. you know, linens, dishware, kitchen appliance, kitchenware, um, furnishings, towels, bed frames, mattresses, all the things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there some things, are there some things in terms of like picking out beds, right? Cause you know, it's, it's one thing where that, that bed is going to be a make or break, um, yes. for a lot of people in terms of reviews. So what are things that you've learned along the way in terms of some of those furnishings of what's going to hold up well, um, versus maybe what's not? Yeah, it just, um, so I've bought a combination. So I've done a combination of furnishing from, um, ground zero, and I've also bought properties that are already furnished. There mm-hmm. are pros and cons to each. Um, I think buying, buying a property that's completely empty and you start from scratch, at least you get to, you get to design it and you get to think about it in a, um, you know, in kind of a logical manner. Mm-hmm. Um, however, buying something that's already furnished get, gives you the opportunity to just kind of go in there, test things out, refresh what you need to refresh and get it on the market really quickly, which is huge because right now with COVID, um, you know, there's a lot of delays in supply chains. And so mm-hmm. you might order a, you might order something and it could be five or six weeks until you get it. So five weeks later, that's a whole nother mortgage payment. So, right. um, you know, right now it's actually kind of beneficial to look for properties that are already furnished so that you can just refresh what you need to refresh. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, I've had really good luck with the Zenus green tea mattresses. I have a lot of great reviews. You know, people say they love them. Um, I get my towels from Costco right now. I get my sheets from Amazon. Um, dishware just depends. I have Corel at most of my places because it's sturdier and it lasts and, um, they're mid range properties. So it really, mm-hmm. you know, I think you have to take the whole picture into account of what property you have and what kind of what your guest is expecting and what you're charging. Right. I mm-hmm. think you're, you want to set the expectations properly. And I think that's one of the ways you can get really good reviews is you set your, you set the guest expectations properly and you set the price properly. If you're charging $600 a night and somebody's on a creaky mattress um, with a frame from Ikea, they're probably not going to give you a great review because they're going to walk in expecting luxury at $600 a night and they're not going to get it. And so mm-hmm. you've really, you've really kind of got to match up the the feel, the price and the expectation of your guests for sure. Did you have to make any adjustments like that on the fly where maybe you got some constructive criticism on a property or do you feel like you properly kind of assess that at the beginning? You know, I think I've gotten really lucky. I've, mm-hmm. I've really kind of assessed things properly and priced things properly. Um, I have not, I have really not gotten anyone that said, oh, the value just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my property in Phoenix is in a up and coming neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's got that urban feel to it that not everybody's going to love. And mm-hmm. so I have gotten a little bit of criticism there, like, oh, the dogs in the neighborhood were barking or, oh, this neighborhood didn't feel safe and things like that. And so what I do with that is I actually change my listing description hmm. and I couch everything in a way that is not. I'm not pointing out flaws. I'm not going to say, hey, this is a sketchy neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. I say, hey, this is an up and coming urban neighborhood. There's quite a, there's a lot of foot traffic. Light sleepers may not do well. Hmm. And so yeah. I set the, you know, I set the stage for if somebody's reading the description, they say, ooh, that's not going to go well with me. 
then they can yep. move on, right? Yep. They can book somewhere else. So I think that's really important. If you have a property that's hard to get to, so I just did a little vacation checking out some unique Airbnbs in um, Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I could critique their listings all day long, but I think um, what what some of them have done really well is they've set the stage. So they say, hey, uh, this is a remote property. There are dirt roads involved in getting getting to the property. Keep that in mind. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important, you know, set the stage, set the expectations. Um, it's up to your guests, your potential guests to book or not book based on how you describe your property. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. When, when we were looking at, uh, Airbnbs in Michigan this summer, um, you know, yeah. we were, we, we kind of booked late, so it was tough to find anything available. Um, but then there was a couple where it was rustic cabins, uh, no Wi-Fi, And I was like, let's see here, three kids with no Wi-Fi. That's not going to fly on a vacation. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah, it's good to be accurate. And, and I do like that because you are setting a realistic expectation. Um, certain places accommodate certain people and and certain ones don't. And so really being clear on that is going to help you in the long run. You'd rather have somebody book and be happy than to book more people and get a a negative review that might impact that in the future. Um, I also think that when you're setting up a property, you really have to, you have to have an avatar in mind. You have mm -hmm. to have your ideal guest in mind and and buy a property that will fit them and decorate it so that it'll fit them, right? If you're if you're trying to attract business travelers into, say, a metropolitan area, then you're you want to have a workstation. You want to have really mm. good Wi-Fi. You want to have good lighting at the desk if they're going to be doing um, meetings, you know, working remotely. Um, so it's it's really about knowing your guests and setting the stage properly, for sure. Mm-hmm. What are some things that folks might need to know in terms of, because you had already mentioned charging the locks, right? So you've got yeah. electronic locks on properties, um, talking about kind of that check-in experience, um, you know, property management, cleaning, maintenance, that type of stuff. What are some other things that are important for people to know? Yeah. So it depends on how much hands-on you want to have with um, with your properties. I like to be um, a little hands-off whenever I can, and therefore I have the choice to be hands-on. Mm-hmm. So I like to have ring doorbells to kind of have a visual of how many people are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you, when I first started, I would watch the ring camera kind of periodically to say, why is it going off so many times? You know, how many people are checking in? And, and mm-hmm. so it does alert you to certain things. Right now, I don't even bother. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> I don't really mind. Um, you definitely want to have an electronic keypad of some sort if you can, and if it fits the property type. So I have an electronic keypad at two properties. Um, the other three, they're more on the budget end. So I just have a contractor's lockbox and they get the key out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not ideal. I definitely want to have, I want to upgrade those in the future. So that's kind of, but there's four doors. So it, it gets a little costly. Um, you definitely want to hardwire as much as you can because making sure batteries are charged is a little bit of a pain. That was kind of a rookie mistake I made. I got my ring doorbell is, is battery and I wish Mm. I'd had it hardwired because that is just one more thing that needs to be maintained. Right. So, um, depending on your property and how large it is, there are, um, noise alert monitors, so if you want to prevent parties or larger gatherings, you can put those into the property. And what it does is it just reads decibel levels. It's not recording actual conversations or anything. It's just checking the levels of the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, some people pro and con on the camera situation outside of a ring doorbell. You know, some people like to have cameras at their pool or jacuzzi or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You have to really disclose that in your in your listing to make sure people know. I personally wouldn't rent a property that said, hey, there's a camera facing the pool. I'd be like, no, thank you. Right. right. That's that's not my idea of a relaxing vacation at all. Um, yep. So I would move yep. on from there. So, yeah. yeah. Now, another thing that you've mentioned in the past is just talking about being a good neighbor, um, because, you know, long term, like it it might be nice that you, quote unquote, get away with stuff early on. But at the end of the day, um, you want to have good relationships with your neighbors because you don't want them to always call the police or always have an issue or stuff like that. So really setting a good expectation, because, you know, if, if you have a vacation rental property, realizing that this is everybody's vacation that goes there. So they're probably going to be up later than normal. They might make more noise than normal. And so just yeah. finding ways to build good relationships with those neighbors. So you're not the, the problem property in the neighborhood. How do you, sure. how do you recommend, yeah. you know, doing that? There's a lot of ways. So one thing is um, if you're targeting your guests properly, properly, you may not get those types of guests that are, mm-hmm. you know, having a wild party, having margarita night outside by the pool. That being said, I think it's ideal if you've got one of those neighborhoods that's a little bit contentious where some people are okay with Airbnbs and then neighborhood and some aren't, I think it's ideal to introduce yourself, um, give out your cell phone number to your neighbors, let them know that, Hey, this is a business, but I want to be a good neighbor. If you Mm -hmm. see anything, or if anything bothers you, shoot me a text. And, you know, if people are being too loud, um, if the neighbor lets you know, you can always reach out to your guest and say, Hey, you know, just want to let you know, if you guys could keep it down a little bit, I want you to have fun, but just keep it down a little bit. The neighbors have whatever. Um, you want to make sure that your trash is, is taken care of. You want to make sure that the parking doesn't get out of hand. You don't want 10 people up and down the street if that's where your neighbors need to park as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on the neighborhood and the property and kind of the dynamics of the whole situation. But I really do promote, you know, being a good neighbor, um, abiding by any HOA or CCNR reg- regulations, mm-hmm. Um, I think the people that are doing illegal short-term rentals are really ruining it for the rest of us, right. As an investment vehicle. And that's a shame. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really try to, you know, encourage people to do everything on the up and up. Yeah. Well, I I, I like, you know, you had talked about previously when I, when I heard you speak about how, um, you know, this really is a shared economy here. Like it's a, it's a great business model. um, And, and it allows you as a physician to have a side business or, you know, like not really a side business. It's, it's also a primary business too, but like it allows people to do something like that and open up some financial opportunities that um, many wouldn't have had in the past. It's not like you're going to um, say, Hey, I want to start a hotel um, because I really want to be in the hospitality business. So there's a lot of benefits for people to do that. And yeah, if people don't do it well, cities are going to come down with re- with regulations and shut it down. And so you really want to show how to do it well so that we can keep doing it this way in the future and provide some entrepreneurial opportunities for people versus having it get shut down and not being able to do that. Exactly. And also, you know, I like to think about the other scenario too. We're all investors and real estate agents and we have, do I need to be doing this? Not at all. Right. Mm -hmm. I obviously I can make a really good living as a physician, but I just think it's a nice way to have alternative streams of income coming in so that Mm -hmm. if something happened to me as a single mom, I'm not tied to being in the hospital for 12 hours a day, you know, 15 days a month. I also like to think about what about the, the woman who has a really big, nice house, her kids are off at college. She suddenly finds herself widowed. 
And mm. it's her family home. She does not want to give it up. It's paid for. It's um, it's where her family convenes at the mm. holidays. And she's got three extra bedrooms. Well, quite frankly, the shared economy allows her to host guests in her house and have company, make a little income, pay her expenses. So, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent of the shared economy concept and um, the ability for, you know, the bar is really low with Airbnb. Again, started out as an air mattress in a San Francisco apartment. So mm-hmm. the bar is low. Anyone can get into the game. And I think that's a really lovely thing. So yeah. you don't need to have a million dollars to invest in a luxury property. You can start small. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I, th- I think that that covers a lot. I mean, certainly we could talk about a lot more, um, but I think we covered a lot of the, the big key pieces that people would want to know. Um, for folks that, you know, have love, you know, what you've shared, how can they learn more about you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So uh, I have a Facebook group. It's called the Unorthodox Doc Short-Term Rental Group. And um, then I also teach a course called Roadmap to Investing in Short-Term Rentals. Um, It launches a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. And um, they can reach out to me in either of those areas. And then, of course, the Unorthodox Doc at gmail.com. So those are all the ways to get to me. And I think in the short-term rental community, it's it's good to meet others and communicate with others because you're going to learn so much faster that way um, versus trying to figure it out yourself. I mean, even though I don't have a short-term rental yet, um, being in these communities has helped me to understand like, okay, I need to think about this and this and this, or yeah, that's a really important thing. So I think getting involved in those communities is, is really beneficial and it's going to raise the learning curve and then raise your bar of professionalism and ultimately your bar of success um, in doing this. So there's a lot of value there in what you're providing for people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks for having me on. Thank you.